So the court registrar must ensure all the files and processes are brought to the attention of the judge. Welcome to the Fit and Proper Podcast by DG Law. Your host, Kemi Ubi, and co-host, S.A. Aro. Hello, you're welcome to today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast. My name is Kemi Ubi, and with me today is S.A. Um, myself and S.A. will be talking about um, trials, basically, but in the introductory part of it, which is a topic in, in Nigeria law schools syllabus. So, Essie, you're welcome to be. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Okay, that's great. So, today we're focusing on um, attendance of parties and arraignments. So, my first question to you is, what happens if um, an accused is absent at his or her trial? Okay, well, basically, a trial cannot be conducted without the accused person being present. So, if the accused is absent, then the court may or may not compel the accused to come and be present at the trial through a summons or warrant of arrest or an arrest without a warrant. But the court must compel the okay actually the court must compel the accused presence at trial. No may or may not Alright, so, so but what is the other way? What is the complainant that's absent? Are there consequences where the complainant is absent? Well, um, if the complainant is going to be absent, mostly he's meant to give, he or she is meant to give the court like a notice, or meant to take like, uh, give a reason to the court for his absence. He gets. So, but if that, if that's not given, then the judge will adjust the matter and then give an order for the prosecution to show up at trial, but then normally the judge will just adjourn the matter. Oh, yeah. Okay. So but so that means that if both parties now they know they got traffic and if you put the house and what happens in that kind of scenario where both parties are absent? Okay, where both parties are absent, the judge will adjourn the matter to a later date. And after that would compel the presence of the of the accused by a summons or warrant of arrest and then also give an order for the prosecution to appear before the court at the given date. Okay, also something I forgot to add, where the prosecution does not show up for trial without any reason at all, the case may be dismissed and then the accused person will be discharged. Okay. So, um, with that as a background now, yeah, let's uh, yeah. talk about the duties of the registrar, the judge, the counsel, and the criminal trials. I'll start with the prosecuting counsel. What are the person's duties? So, the duties of the prosecution, he is meant to assemble facts, verify evidence, make sure that every evidence and every fact is correct, and he is meant to draft the charge or information which is meant to be filed in court. Then he's meant to interview the witnesses that are for the side of the prosecution. He's meant to interview them and prepare them on how to give evidence in court so that they don't go there and form rules. Yes. Before they go and say, eh, I don't know, that's what they said I have to say or something like that. <laughs> and then he should be a prosecutor and not a persecutor in the sense that he's not meant to attack 
be accused person and say you, you are a bad person, you have a bad character. So it's obvious that because of that bad character, you kill this man. You get men follow the facts and follow the law and make sure that justice is being done. Then you should not withhold facts that are favorable to the accused. You should not say ah. And we should not withhold any of the facts that are favorable to the accused in order to, you know, favor his own side so that he can win the case. It's not about that. It's meant to make sure that justice is served, whether the accused is innocent or whether he's guilty. So, that's that. Alright. So, what about the defense counsel now? So, for the defense counsel, he has the right to access it. Clients that in custody. So the police is not allowed. They are not allowed to arrest the lawyer when he goes to the when he goes to the police station to see the client. Is that allowed that the lawyer says no here wrote out something before they you know before they allow him to see the client. Once he's there and he introduces himself as a lawyer and he can properly identify himself as a lawyer, then he must be allowed to see the client. Then he must defend the accused person regardless. Of his personal opinion and his guilt. It's just like, it's just similar to the prosecution, to the prosecution's own duty, where he must not deviate yes. from the facts, yes, he must not be a persecutor, yes. so he must not talk about the person's character or morals or any of those things, as they will yeah. probably be immaterial to the case. So, whether you think the man is a bad man or a good man, just defend him to the best of your ability. So now you should not return the brief of an accused person charged with a capital offense. Well, that was the sign of that teacher. What if I don't want to do it? <laughs> what if I don't want to do it? What if it's too much stressful? Anyway, it is what it is. He should not offer any testimony he knows to be false in order to protect his clients. So this part of the Italians are lying. They will lie, lie, lie. Then, like that, Baba Blue. Like that was a blue advert. After saying, Judge, my client is innocent. And I said, Bang, bang, discharge and acquitted. They say, Ah, thank you. I swear, I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> so, yeah. He must not lie in order to protect the client. And then he should not knowingly reveal the secrets of the client which have been told to him in confidence. So we're mm-hmm. taught that in our procedure, we must always keep the confidence of our clients. So mm-hmm. that's that. All right. So let's talk about the um, court registrar now. What are the duties of the court registrar? Okay. So the court registrar must ensure all the files and processes are brought to the attention of the judge. He must say, okay, judge, this is everything that they brought for this is it for this case. This is it. He must give everything to the judge. He must accept documents and processes. And keep them safe. Cannot say I don't like your face, so I'm not taking your own today. You must accept everything, and then you must make relevant documents available to the parties as at when due. So when their cases are going to be up or whatever, the registrar must make everything available to them by necessary. Then he is also to read and explain the charge to the accused. That part of the work of registrar. Then he's to interpret or make available the content interpreter. That's in the case where the accused person does not understand the language of the court. Yeah. All right. So I know we all have a general idea of what the judge is supposed to do. You know, discharge and acquitted, that kind of thing. But yeah. like a rehash, you know, so rehash. So can you tell us the duties 
of the judge. At least briefly. Okay. Well, yeah, you must be an umpire. That must not enter into the case and say, oh, yeah, oh, you are looking guilty or you're looking nonsense. But this, are you sure this man did this thing? I think, of course, don't like the case. Must not enter into an trying to defend or trying to prosecute the matter. Then he must be impartial, must not take over the prosecution, and must not talk too much in the case. Now, let's talk about um, arraignments. Can you guide us through the process of um, arraignments? What is arraignments? Okay. So, basically, it is categorized into four stages. That's for ease of um, following what arraignment should be. So, at first, the accused is going to appear before the court. And then he must appear on his train. There's no handcuff, no chains, no rope, nothing to tie him. He must come free to court, appearing before the court. Unless he is proven to be violent, then the court will order that he be restrained. Okay. So, the register will call up the case and then the accused person will proceed to the job. Then, secondly, the registrar would read the charge to the accused in a language he understands and explain it to him. So, if the accused does not understand the language of the court, and the language of the court is the English language, if he does not understand the language, then it must be explained to him in a language that he understands by the registrar or by an interpreter. And then the interpreter will now interpret back to the court what the accused person has said. And then it's not necessary that the, the language spoken to the accused be his native language, like say it is Igbo now, it must they must speak Igbo to him. It's not like if he's Igbo, they must speak Igbo to him. But okay. they must speak a language that he understands. That's mm-hmm. a necessary thing. Yeah, then thirdly, the accused person will be asked to enter his plea. So when the accused person has entered his plea, when the child has read him and he understands it, that's an interpreter and everything, then he asked to enter his plea of guilty or not guilty. And after entering his plea, then he will accept to put himself upon his trial. Then lastly, the plea shall immediately be recorded by the court as exact as possible in the words of the accused person. Yeah. So now, we're about to another stage now, yeah? The accused person yeah. has been successfully arraigned. What options are available yeah. to the like, for example, when they are making their plea? Okay, so, well... May decide to make preliminary objections, like which are objections that are made like at the beginning and the commencement of the trial, like to say, Oh, this court lacks jurisdiction or this charge sheet, you get that to be your problem day or double trial that this trial has been conducted before, why are we bringing it up again? Or the accused person has been pardoned or the charge or the offense is satisfied that okay. The time or whatever has lapsed, and then you cannot bring it up again. Then, aside making preliminary objections, he may refuse to plead, he may stand mute, he may just keep quiet. They will say, How do you plead? He may keep quiet, and they will just stand mute and stay quiet. Then, the accused person may turn out to be deaf and dumb. He may decide to plead guilty, or he may decide to plead not guilty, or he may decide to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, let's let's quickly run through them. So what does it mean for an accused to be to raise um a preliminary objection? Okay. So a preliminary objection is raised. The time it meant to be raised is actually 
before the accused person enters his plea, but right after the child refers to him. So after they say, okay, Mr. So and so, you did this and this, how do you plea? Or you have been accused of this and this and this, how do you plea? So he may, he, he will now make a preliminary objection and the preliminary objections that he can make are lack of jurisdiction of the court, defects of the charge sheet, double trial. Double trial can be said like when the accused person has experienced that trial before, he has been to court before for that same offence and he has either been convicted or acquitted, then he will now raise the plea of auto for acquit or auto for convict. Okay. So, um, Let's talk about um, when the person decides to or refuses to plead. What does that mean? Okay. If the accused person refuses to plead, first will ask him, why? Why are you not pleading? And if in the court's opinion, the reason that the accused person gives is not valid, then the accused will be advised that, please, enter your plea now. If he still refuses, then the court will record the plea of not guilty on behalf of the accused and proceed with the trial. Alright. Is the reason for courts putting not guilty due to the rule that says that the a person is not guilty or to prove otherwise or what? I'm just trying to understand why. Why they assume not guilty? Okay. That's the reason actually. Because even even if the accused had pleaded guilty and then Mm -hmm. When he is giving his fact, it does not tally with the fact that you by the prosecution. The plea of guilty will not be upheld. In fact, it is the plea of not guilty that will enter on the behalf. Okay. Right. So then my next question now will be, but if the, what's, what now happens if the person decides to stand news instead? Now the person is not, he's not just, the person is not news. What happens then? Okay, the court will investigate the reason for his newness, whether it's out of malice or by an act, or by an act of God. If it's, if it's discovered to be out of malice, then a plea of not guilty shall be entered on his behalf. But if it is discovered that it's by an act of God, like for instance, the person cannot talk. Like the person cannot talk, then the accused person shall be detained. At the governor's pleasure. Okay. Yeah. Because say the accused now pleads guilty. What does the court do then? So, if the accused pleads guilty, the court will enter his plea as accurately as possible in his exact words. And then there are some things that the court will check to make sure that the plea of guilt of guilty is being entered. Like he understands the entire charge. He understands that take when he pleads guilty, then his plea must be very unambiguous. That okay, how do you please? Say, eh, okay, now I'll just say, okay, I did this one, or I think I think I did it. It must not be vague at all, it must be clear cut. Okay, I plead guilty to this charge, I understand the charge really and everything. And then the actually must plead by himself. His counsel cannot plead on his behalf, he must plead by himself, he must plead by himself. Then also. The prosecution assists the fact of the case and the court will ask him directly if he admits all of the facts himself. Then when the court is satisfied that the accused person intends to admit to all the essential evidence of the offence, then the court will now proceed to convict him based on that plea. But what now happens if the accused decides to plead no guilty? If he decides to plead, is he pleading no guilty after pleading guilty? No, 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 like, no, no. Okay, not pleading guilty. Okay, okay, yeah, I guess. Now, when the accused 
the accused pleads not guilty. He didn't have put himself upon his trial. So that means that he would he's denying all of the charge of the the charge in its entirety. And now the prosecution must now prove all of the ingredients of the offence beyond reasonable doubt. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what if the accused pleads not guilty on the basis of insanity? What would the court do there? Well, if the accused does that, then the court must investigate and be sure that, well, what he's saying is actually right, not that he's just trying to run away and say, okay, this and that. So the court will investigate and call an expert to check his insanity. So now yeah. the court, yeah, so first the court will, will decide if the accused actually committed the offence, before it can even try to see that, okay, committed the offence, okay, when he committed the offence, what was the state of mind? So, was the accused saying at the time of the commission of the offence? If he was, then he would be convicted based on that. But if he wasn't, that if he wasn't saying at the time of the commission of the offence, then he shall be detained at the government's pleasure. Okay. So, what about the plea of... Because I remember that um, in an earlier episode, we talked about the plea of Odrafua acquit or Odrafua convict. Um, so, what happens when the accused relies on this plea? Okay, so when the accused. Okay, oh, let me just give a small explanation. Odrafua acquit or an Odrafua convict are basically saying that accused person has been tried for the same offense and he has either been convicted or acquitted. And so he should not be tried again. So where an accused person has sufficiently proved this, then the trial shall be dismissed. Although, although a superior court can order a retrial of the matter. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so now let's switch base to plea bargaining. What does this mean? Okay. A plea bargain is basically a process in criminal proceedings where the defendant and the prosecution work out a mutually acceptable disposition of the case. Now, it will include the plea of the defendant to a lesser offence than that charged in the complaint, and it must be in conformity with the other conditions imposed by the prosecutor in return for a lighter sentence than that for the higher charge subject to the court approval. Okay. Alright, so are there like categories or types of a plea bargain? Yes, it's categorized into two. Basically, a charge bargain and a sentence bargain. So the charge bargain is like an agreement to drop some of the charges against the defendant if he pleads guilty. It's just basically to save time that, okay, oh, we know what's at stake, okay. If you plead guilty, we'll drop those and those charges and then, okay, carry the rest and then just plead guilty to the rest and then maybe Prosecution will now, because they will draft an agreement actually, and then they will show the judge and everything. So the sentence bargain basically is where the prosecution agrees to a lesser punishment for the accused if he pleads guilty to the charge. So, yeah. How can an accused person get a plea bargain? Okay. An accused person can get a plea bargain. First, he must plead guilty. It's important. That one is important. Because that's what the prosecution wants. They want a conviction. So he must plead guilty first to the entire charge or part of it, like in case of a charge bargain. And then 
agree also to a lesser offense or part of charge and then he may he may or may not agree to forfeit some of his assets to the state. Also, plea bargain agreements must be in writing and it must be signed by the prosecutor as well as the defendant. Also, the agreement must contain the facts that the accused has been informed of his right to remain silent. The consequences of not remaining silent, not to make any confession or admission, may be used in evidence against him. And that also he knows that he knows about the full terms of the agreement. So he must just basically say that he understands everything that is going on before he signs. Mm-hmm. Then the court is required to stay out of the agreement leading up to the plea. However, the prosecutor may inform the court of the contents of the agreement just only for the purpose of seeking general direction, like for instruction or whatever is in, in the drafting of the agreement. Yeah. So the prosecutor may also inform the victim of the contents of the agreement, not to include details of compensation or anything like that. So then the court must then confirm and be sure that the agreement is correct from the defendant and that the defendant has entered into the agreement of his own volition, that he was not cajoled or compelled or blackmailed into agreeing to a plea bargain. He must be sure that the defendant is sure of what he's getting himself into. Uh, okay. Yeah. So my last question here is for today, what are the advantages of um, key bargaining? Well, like I said before, it reduces the wasting of time of trial. Because trials can drag on for years and years, and it can really stress all of the parties out, can cause them to lose a lot of money, spending it on court processes and whatnot. So the accused can avoid wasting his time and money in defending himself at trial to avoid the risk of a harsher punishment. Even after spending more stressing and wasting time, he sees land the whole life imprisonment. So it's better just bargain. Then the prosecution also saves time and money because it's the money that belongs to the state. So they should help us to save our money. Then, <laughs> yeah, both sides are now spared the uncertainty. That going to trial brings trial is even very stressful mentally and physically to drain you and everything. So they expect all of that. Then the court also, the judge, the entire court staff, they expect the stress of trial. That's basically All right. Well, actually, it's been another interesting episode with you. Um, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. So, so as our audience, um, as always, please fill our feedback forms whenever you see them online, circling the internet. We'd love to know topics that you're struggling with or would love to address your questions. You can also send us your questions and suggestions through our social media pages. On Twitter and Instagram, we are TwiddleNG, so you can slide into our DMs. To show support and solidarity, you can subscribe to our podcast on Google and Apple Podcasts. And give us a good basis on our podcast. Um, so if you use our course missing, you can click the favorite button so you get notified every time we release a new episode. So we look forward to um getting your feedback. We hope you have a great time today. See you meet again. I am your host, Kate and Ruby. Stay safe and stay proper. And that's all for today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast, a digital production. 
For more about DigiLaw, you can check out our website at www.digilaw.com.ng. Follow us on social media. On LinkedIn, we are at DGL Africa. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigilawNG. The Fit and Proper podcast was hosted by Kiyukemi Ubi and Eseogene Aro. The scriptwriter is Kiyukemi Ubi. Production and editing is by Akin Ifai Agumbiade. While the voiceover is by Fashion Adebi. Until we meet again, stay fit and stay proper.